we're called beyond to be church attenders. We're called to be disciples. And so we're going through this 12-week track. We wanna encourage you to stay connected to it. Every week, uh, we're writing a new chapter of the discipleship track and releasing that. We're emailing it out. I believe you can also request it via text. If not, we'll make that possible. And they're all gonna be archived starting this week on the website so that if you get behind a week or two or you're out of pocket a week or two, you can go back and read that chapter for yourself. Um, we believe that their best, this discipleship track is best experienced through small groups. And so there are many, I'm so thankful for so many precious people, men, women, couples, young adults, our students who have stepped out and made their homes or their offices available and they are leading small group discussion surrounding this discipleship track. So last week in week one, uh, the message was called Forget the 20. And we used an illustration that encouraged us to go beyond the previous expectations or limitations that maybe have been imposed either by ourselves or by the spirit of religion or by the culture of the day on what it means to be a Christ follower. That we're called to do more than just believe in God, we're called to follow Christ and make a difference for him in our lives. This week, I wanna to talk to you about one of the most foundational, foundationally important issues in our lives of faith. And last week, I wanted to kind of move the, the, the target a little bit so that we could start to dream a little bit bigger and go beyond maybe what we thought was possible in our lives of faith. And I challenged you, every one of you, there's not one person, there's not one of you, despite where you've come from, despite your past, despite some struggles you might be going through today, that God does not desire to know you more closely, to use you more intimately and, and deeply in your pr purpose for your life. Every one of you has a great call of God upon your life. So last week, I wanted to kind of move the, the target a little bit for us, but this week, I wanna talk about what I believe wholeheartedly to be one of the most important issues that we must deal with in our faith if we are to grow as disciples, and if we are to, even beyond that, enjoy our relationship with God. And I believe wholeheartedly God wants to be enjoyed. He wants to enjoy a friendship, a relationship with you. He is not a far away distant God. He's a very near and present God who desires to be closer than a brother to you, closer than an intimate friend to you. So this issue is one of the most important issues that we must deal with it affects the way we see God, which doesn't change who he is. We'll get into that here in a moment, but it affects our ability to relate to or receive from the Lord. And so we, each of us deals with this, and this message is called First the Father. And if you were at Men's Summit a few weeks ago, guys, you heard some of this message preached. I hope that you'll just receive from it, allow it to maybe deepen your, your uh, awareness of and commitment to living this out in your life and understand that there are many people who were not there in that session a few weeks ago who were maybe hearing this for the first time or being reminded of it in a fresh way. So before we get into this message, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to uh, be present in this place. Let's honor his presence. He's here. And let's ask him to do what only he could do to, to bring healing, strength, comfort, freedom. Come on, let's just pray. I'll pray corporately. Would you write where you are, man of God, woman of God? Would you open your heart? Would you ask the Lord to speak to you? in your unique circumstances, maybe your unique opportunities, or maybe the opposition or challenges that you're up against. And Lord, we just thank you that your heart today, God, is to come and to speak to your people, to strengthen your sons and daughters. Lord, your heart today is to bring hope where, there's, where that's needed, Lord, strength where that's needed, healing where that's needed. God, we know, we recognize you are able to do it, God. Even the things that are impossible with man, 
They are possible with you and you are in this place. We welcome you, we honor you, we thank you in advance, God, for doing what only you could do, God. Lord, only what only you could do, Lord, drawing us close to you, Lord, helping us to grow in our faith today. In Jesus' mighty name, and come on, all God's precious people said, Amen, amen, amen. God's first the Father. There are many things, there are many roles, there are many perspectives, there are many uh, uh, perceptions and misconceptions about who God is. He's creator, he's master, he's judge, he's ruler. Yes, he is all those things, but I'm gonna show you in God's word today, he's first a father. He's first a father. And family is his chosen analogy. You might hear us say that often around this church. At Rev City, we're family, and we believe that to be true because it's what God has in his heart for us as his people. Family is his chosen analogy all throughout his word. He could have set it up differently. It's the way he established to set it up, right? He's the father, and he sent his to make us sons and daughters, to make us children of God. The Bible's real clear about that. We meet in the house of God. There's a table. There's a, there's a wedding feast that's awaiting for us. All these concepts of marriage and family, it's God's chosen analogy. And so uh, God desires to be seen first as a father. He is all those other things, and we'll get into that creator, master, ruler, judge, but first, he's a father. And perhaps no other thing affects our ability to relate to and receive from God than the way we see God. And two people can see something and, and come away with a different perspective. How many of you remember that, that social media post that went viral a few years ago? That Remember the shoe, the striped shoe, and some people saw it to be green and gray. Remember, and other people saw it to be pink and gray. How many remember? Show, show of hands. How many of you remember that? And then there was the dress. Remember the dress? I think some people saw the dress, to, the striped dress to be blue and black, and others saw it to be white and gold. And then I remember looking at a picture a few years ago that someone shared on the internet and it said, if you look at this picture a little bit more closely, at first you'll see an, a, an elderly man. If you look more closely, you'll see a beautiful woman. And I could not squint or focus or strain my eyes hard enough to see the beautiful woman in the picture. But people in the comments were commenting about seeing the beautiful woman in the picture. Here's the point. Two people can look at the same thing and see something different. Two people can look at the very same God and come away with a different perspective about who he really is and who, how we see God does not change who he is. I'm the Lord, I do not change, Malachi 3. Jesus is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be attracted by strange new ideas, Hebrews 3, verse eight. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. Catch this, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow, James 1, verse 17. So how we see God doesn't affect who he is. He is who he is, he's a good father. But perceptions and experiences that we have in life can influence the way that we see him and affect our ability to relate to him or receive from him. So many perceptions, misconceptions, and here's the thing, a lot of reasons about why that is the case. But I personally believe, and in my experience, counseling people, helping people, pastoring people, there are two primary reasons, two primary factors that affect the way we see God and thus relate to and receive from God. One, misrepresentation through bad religious teaching. In other words, uh, uh, we, we've, there are entire denominations who have taught that God is very legalistic, that he is, he is very heavy-handed, and you better hope that you're not in a PG-13 movie when, he, when Christ comes back. And there are entire denominations, and, and here's the thing, let me make the, the, the so that's, that's this side of the pendulum. There's this other side, this balance, where we need to have holiness. We need, we need to call the holiness. There's some, Christ calls us to live differently. We ought to look and sound differently. We ought to live differently than the world lives, amen? Yeah. 
But God is not a legalistic, heavy-handed God. So misrepresentation through bad teaching or religion, and this one maybe even more so, and this is the one we're gonna dig into a little bit more today, painful experiences in life with earthly fathers or with, with authority figures that affect the way that we see our heavenly father. And when I say fathers, I just kind of use that language. It could be somewhat interchangeable with just parents. Sometimes maybe you didn't have a father in your life and obviously that could be part of this, the issue, but maybe you could have had a good father and a mother that really was abusive or distant or, um, or, or neglectful towards you. And so um, if I use the word father, just understand it's kind of speaking about the parental figures that we have in our lives. The experiences that we have unfortunately can affect the way we see or relate to and receive from God. I, I was in a session, a conference session a few years ago, being led by a, a spiritual leader that I really admire a great deal. And he shared a story about a similar conference session a few years previous in which a certain speaker, and he shared this in the third person, but I had the sneaky suspicion that it was actually he that was the one sharing in the story that he was sharing the account of. And he, he tells about this previous conference session where this person was speaking about this very concept that God's first a father and his, he's immutably a good father. And he shared that as, he was share, as the speaker was sharing, a woman in the back of the room leapt to her feet and began to, to loudly and intentionally curse and profane with the, with the, using every four-letter word. And those curses, those profanities, those expletives all pointed towards God. And it, he tells the story, and in that moment, you can only imagine the tension that would fill a picture of a room like this, or maybe like our fellowship hall over here, and someone standing up and beginning to curse God using the most profane language possible. Can you imagine what the, the, the tension level in the room, how quickly it would rise? Can you imagine, can you just see people looking around the room saying, who's gonna do what, what should we do? Should we command her to be quiet? Should we call the gatekeeper security team to come and, and escort her out? What should we do? And the speaker, the man shared that the speaker just began to say, God, what would you have me to do for her? And the Lord just prompted him, just begin to pray for her quietly and patiently and invite the, other, the rest of the congregation to do the same. And so they began to pray for her and the torrent of profanity continued to flow out of her spirit towards God, her heavenly father, until finally, emotionally exhausted, perhaps her vocabulary exhausted, she began to quiet down. Some leaders came around her and ministered to her. She had had a very, very traumatic, painful upbringing with her earthly father. And as she was hearing the reality being preached about that God is a good father and he's first a father, it began to trigger this emotional response from this place of unresolved, unhealed pain that she had in her life. And it's an extreme example, but many of us can have these kind of things because none of us had perfect parents. None of us had perfect parents. And, and, and the, the man in the story said that he was amazed that as this torrent of profanity was being released towards God, that the only thing he sensed from God towards the woman was a heart of love. And I don't know if it was real time right there, kind of in the, the moment, or if it was after the fact as the speaker was kind of reviewing the situation in his head, kind of replaying it in his mind. But he shared this. He said he was amazed that throughout that whole experience, the only thing that he really experienced from God towards the woman was a heart of love and compassion. And he said, God, all I, all all I could feel from you was this heart of love towards her. Well, how could that be? Didn't you hear what she was saying about you? Didn't you hear how she was accusing you and, and maligning you and cursing you? 
And the, the, the speaker shared that God spoke back to him and said, yes, and that's true, all you felt was my love towards her because I knew that she wasn't actually cursing me. She was cursing who she thinks me to be. Who she thinks me to be is not who I really am. And just like that dress, just like that, those, that picture of those shoes, two people can look at the very same image, the very same God come away with two entirely different perspectives. None of us had perfect fathers. This woman had an extreme example of pain that was caused by an abusive father. Some of us were blessed to have godly fathers, and if you did, don't take it for granted. Maybe look for the opportunity to circle back. Again, none of us had perfect, perfect parents, but even some of us had godly parents, and in their imperfection, they were at least endeavoring to love us and care for us and provide for us and maybe raise us up to know and fear and serve the Lord. If, that's, if you had those kind of parents and they're still alive on this side of eternity, Maybe look for the opportunity to go and in a very specific, intentional way say, hey, thank you, I, 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 I appreciate the way that you raised me. But many people, unfortunately, have experienced hurt or pain in their relationships with earthly fathers as a result of parents or fathers who were absent, abusive physically, sexually, verbally, or emotionally, distant, controlling, angry, strict, harsh, or heavy-handed, parents who were workaholics, or parents maybe who were lethargic and didn't provide for you, there was a lack of affection or sometimes maybe you only experienced affection when it was performance-based. In other words, when you made the team, made the shot, scored the goal, made the grades, there was love and affection and affirmation, but when you didn't, there, it was absent. So here's the thing, regardless of where your parents or guardians fell on that, on that spectrum, and regardless of their impact or influence on your life, I wanna remind you of a few important things. And there's, the, the, here's number one, is our imperfect parents were largely a product of their uh, imperfect upbringing. And realizing this about them can have us to have a measure of grace for them. Number two, we're commanded in scripture to honor our father and mother. The Bible says it's the first commandment with a promise, and that promise is that life will go well for you and you'll experience a long life. Honor your father and mother, it's the first commandment with a promise, Ephesians 6. And so we, we're, we can honor even imperfect people. And, and here's the thing is that Philippians 4 verse 8 says this. It says, finally, brother, whatever, whatever things are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think about these things. You might have to look hard, but there's a way that we can even honor our, our most imperfect appearance. Number three, our responsibility is to forgive Forgiveness is not optional in the life of a believer. When we forgive those who have hurt us, here's the powerful truth. It doesn't make what they did right, it makes us free. And there's a responsibility that we have to forgive. Colossians 3 verse 13, make allowance for one another's faults. Forgive anyone, someone say anyone, who offends you. Watch this, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Number four, God is able to heal and restore even the most painful of circumstances. Nothing is beyond the power of his love. Nothing can separate you from the power of his love. Number five, our heavenly father is good and he's the only one who can truly fill and heal our hearts in this area. And so today, regardless of your experience, and I know in a room this size and with all of those who are joining us online, there are many, many different perspectives good, godly parents who were endeavoring to love and, and care for and provide for and raise us to know and serve the Lord, parents who were completely absent or terribly abusive and anywhere in between. And today, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, you had an imperfect parent, but you have a perfect father. 
And today, through a relationship with him, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, his desire is to come into your life and to begin to heal the hurts and feel, fill the voids in your life. Second Samuel chapter 13, we see the genesis of one of the most painful stories in the history of all father-son relationships. It happens in the family of David. The Bible says in the Old Testament and the New Testament that David was a man after God's own heart. And I think it's powerfully important that it's that, that statement's inclusion in the New Testament I think is profound and important because here's what we understand is that the New Testament was written in hindsight and we know in hindsight David was anything but a perfect man. He was very flawed. He made some terrible mistakes. He had some very sinful moments, some dark moments. Listen, I promise you, you might have done some things, you might have made some mistakes, but if you go read the life of David, there's a chance that he made some worse ones than you've made. Committed adultery with a woman and, 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 and uh, uh, caused for her to become pregnant and so call, called for the murder of her husband, putting him forth on the, on the very front lines of the battlefield knowing that he would be killed in battlefield when the army was commanded to retreat back from him. Some terrible sins, but here's what the Bible says, that he was a man after God's own heart. So here's what we know is that a man after God's own heart does not mean a person that doesn't make mistakes, but it means a person who will, in the middle of his mistakes, his or her mistakes, in the middle of real obstacles, real challenges, real unforeseen, unexpected obstacles and opposition in life, continue to love and serve and come to the Lord your God, continue to present your life before God, continue to worship him and thank him, continue to pursue after him. David was a man after God's own heart. And this story, this painful story, happened in the household of David. And I'll paraphrase it a little bit before we read some specific scriptures from it. One of David's sons named Amnon has developed an unholy attraction to one of his half-sisters named Tamar. And he, he wants to marry Tamar, but he, he understands it can't happen. And so he, he and a friend devise a plan that he should pretend like he's sick and call for Tamar to come and tend to him while he's, a, while he's ailing. And they initiate the plan and she comes in to take care of her brother who's faking and pretending to be sick. And the long, long and unfortunate story is that when she rebukes his advances, he forces himself upon her and brings unspeakable pain into her life and shame into their family. And the Bible goes on to begin to tell about the story. It says that another half-brother named Absalom hears about it and is enraged. It says that David actually hears about it and is enraged. But that's where we pick up the story in verse 21. We're just gonna read like four verses of this, but there's a lot within it. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21, watch what it says. It says, when King David heard about what happened, he was angry. But I want you to catch something in this next verse, verse 22. Remember, we've established that Absalom is very upset about this as well. Who, who wouldn't be, right? And it says, though Absalom, though all, and though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. In other words, he swept his issues, their dysfunction, their pain, their anger tied to this situation, they swept it under the rug. And here's the unfortunate truth is that sin almost always grows uglier in the dark. And here's another un unfortunate truth is that there's a statement that sounds good, but it's, it's just not true. Time does not heal all wounds. Only God heals all wounds. And in fact, a lot of times, time not only will not heal it, but it will cause for a root of bitterness and anger to develop a 
a root issue in your life that can, that can hinder you from really running the race of faith that God has called you to run, or if you're running that race, it could cause you to just not fully enjoy the life of faith that God has called you to live out. Time doesn't heal all wounds, only God can heal all wounds. And instead of dealing with their family issues, Absalom and David keep their head down and they keep building their kingdom, they keep building their business, they keep busy with life. And, and many of us, especially men, but many of us, we can, can bury ourselves in our work or our work identity or our hobbies or we begin to medicate ourselves with substances to fail and to avoid dealing with our issues. And it's just one verse later. We just read verse 22, but verse 23 actually speaks that there's a two-year gap between verse 22 and verse 23. It says, two years later, verse 23, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Belhazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. Verse 24, Absalom went to the king and said, my sheep shearers are now at work. Say that three times real fast, right? Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? So in other words, Absalom, they failed to deal with their family dysfunction, but they've just stayed busy with doing their thing, building their business. Absalom has put his hands to building his ranching empire. He's a sheep herder. He's a sheep rancher. He's had some success. He's built something of prominence. He's about to have kind of like a grand open, a ribbon cutting, a big deal, a day of breakthrough in his company. And he sends for his brothers and he sends for his father. And he says, would you come and see what I've been up to? Would you come celebrate my success? Would you come and be proud of what I've been putting my hands to? And watch the very regrettable response of King David that we find in, in verse 25. He says, no, my son, the king replied, all of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. No, no, you wouldn't. He's inviting you, David. It's just an excuse, right? Although Absalom urged him, your translation might say pleaded with him. Dad, 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 come on, come check out what I've been up to. It says he still refused to go, but watch this, but he gave him his blessing. And no doubt David was legitimately busy building the kingdom, running the kingdom. Come on, everything that that entails. Come on, we read about that, but it, it was a nation all kinds of employees and meetings and strategies and plans and more meetings and budgets to reconcile and things to do. David was very legitimately busy, but unwillingness to make time in his schedule for his family caused a missed opportunity in his life to bring healing to the pain of their past. And it says that David offered his blessing, but what we know is that Absalom wanted his time. And here's a powerful truth. What we leave in the next generation matters more than what we leave for the next generation. What we leave in the next generation, through investment of time, through, through, through rallying them to know God, through helping them to understand. Again, the life of faith is not a life where you're not gonna experience opposition or obstacles. Some of you today are going through some real stuff. But it's, it's not about this phony, plastic, and Christian existence. It's about saying, God has been good to us. He's been faithful to us. He's seen us through some things and he'll do the same for you the next generation. And so Absalom's saying, I need the love. I need the affirmation of a father. And did you know how powerfully true this is? It's this powerfully true. Even Jesus needed the affirmation of his father. 
to fulfill his purpose in his life. And some of you might be saying, really, is that really true? Yes, it's true. Remember when, when Jesus was being baptized, Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist is about to baptize him. He's a little bit reluctant, but Jesus says, it's gotta happen. And it says that Jesus was baptized and it says, as he came out of the waters, do you remember what happened? It says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, and, and God let, the Father let Jesus know in no uncertain terms, I love you and I affirm you. And it was powerfully important in the life of Jesus, the very next chapter, who knows exactly how time, much time went by, but I think it's interesting in the way that the, that the Lord canonized and said at the Bible that in the very next chapter, that's Matthew three, you turn the page, Matthew chapter four, it's the temptation of Jesus by, by Satan himself. And he comes and watch what he says, watch this language, watch what he says. Remember what God thought was important enough to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now watch the, watch the strategy that Satan uses towards Jesus to try to trip him up and keep him from fulfilling the purpose and destiny that he's created Jesus for. Watch, he says, it says, the devil took him to the holy city to the highest point of the temple and said, watch this, if you are the son of God. And he says, jump off. It's actually a spirit of suicide that he's attempting to introduce into Jesus's life, tied to the void that he's hoping to find in his identity with his father. But thankfully, a chapter before, God had seen fit to say, you are my beloved son and I am well pleased. Jesus knew, Jesus had the confidence. And remember, Joseph had been a stand-in as his earthly father, remember? And the same is true for you and I. No one, no earthly father can truly fill this void in our life. Only God, your father. And the enemy will always try to fill the void. But today, the, the, the statement that God is making over you, over you, over who you are, is that you are his son, you are his daughter, you are his child. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of God loving you too much to leave you where you were. He sent Jesus to make a way to bring you back into relationship with him. Regardless of how much love and affirmation you may or may not have received from your earthly father figure, the gospel is your heavenly father's emphatic statement of unrelenting, undefeated, never-ending love and affirmation to you. And the love of the Father towards you is unconditional. In fact, and it's not performance-based. In fact, the love of God is magnified and it was revealed to us in our worst days. Catch this, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, Romans 5, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, so he's just establishing like, you know, few people would even lay their life down for someone who's a really good person. But he says, but God showed us, you and I, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God's love is unconditional. It's not performance-based. While we were still far from God, while we were still enemies of the gospel, that's the moment that he loved you as much as he ever would. And the, the truth is the same today. He loves you on your good days. He loves you on your bad days. If you, if you go astray, he's the kind of a father who will leave the 99 to come and find you and bring you back into his house, to bring you back into relationship with him because he's first a father and he's a good father. And that's how he wants to be known and seen. We talked about some of his other roles, many of them actually legitimate things that he, 
He fills functions that he fills in our life. He is creator, he is judge, he is ruler, he is savior, but he's all those things because he's first a father. God didn't send Jesus to save us because he wanted to establish a religion, build a denomination, or even build a congregation. He didn't send Jesus to make bad people slightly less bad. He sent Jesus to rescue and restore sons and daughters back into a relationship with him as our heavenly father. First John three, verse one, catch this. You gotta catch this. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children. That is who we are. Second Corinthians six eighteen. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord almighty. One more, Ephesians 1, verse 5. Maybe this one underlines the principle even more than the other two. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family. He decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Aren't you grateful? that the cross is not about religion or denominations or even congregations, it's about the Father's heart to bring you as a son or a daughter back into his home, back into a relationship with him. So he's savior because he's first a father. He's creator because he's first a father. And this is something that really is drifting in our culture. So many people embracing and pursuing and advancing what I believe is just an extreme fallacy. And listen, if you want to believe that you came from some kind of a cosmic accident or a puddle of cells or that your ancestors were monkeys, come on, go ahead. You could believe that for yourself. Be my guest. But I choose to believe the word of God that says I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God I was created. And we need to see this reestablished and deepened because it's minimizing and marginalizing people's identity. If you really believe that you came from just some kind of an accident, you're more likely to believe the lies that your life is insignificant that you don't have a purpose in your life. You were created on purpose with a purpose. But he's a creator because he's first a father. He's a creator because he's first a father. Catch this, Ephesians 1 verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved and chose us in Christ. He didn't create everything and then just said, oh, you know what would be neat is if I kind of caused this, these things to go into motion and then I sent my son to, uh, to bring them home. He, before the foundation of the world, before he even created, he knew you. And before you were even created, he knew that you would need a savior and that's the heart of the gospel. He is creator, but before he's creator, he's first a father. James 1, verse 16 through 18 says, don't be misled, whatever good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes, he does not cast a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his word, his true word, and we catch this out of all creation. It says we, that's you, that's me. Look at your neighbor and tell him, come on, this is what he's about to say is about you. It's about you. We, out of all creation, catch this, became his prized possession. Really? His prized possession. The mountains high, the oceans deep, the stars shining bright, the, the magnitude and the splendor of the, of the galaxies. In all of that, he says, you are my prized possession. 
God's a, a creator, before he's a creator, he's first a father. God's a ruler, but before he's a ruler, he's first a father. And many people struggle with this one, people who had heavy-handed, strict, or hard, taskmaster-type parents, or performance-based love and affection-type parents. But God's a ruler, but because he's a ruler, or he's a ruler because he's first a father. Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 says this, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those whom he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Where are my parents at here today? And I don't know about you, but we have four kids, and I understand more than ever the importance, especially at an early age, of being willing to be, bring godly discipline, not heavy-handed, not abusive, but our, our children today in this next generation, I'm grateful that I'm experiencing what it feels like to have a friendship with my kids as they grow older and become teenagers. But beyond a friend, you're our children, this next generation especially, they need someone who was willing to speak truth into their life and hold them to some standards and encourage them with some things and bring some godly discipline into their life. If you believe it to, true, be, to be true, somebody say amen. amen. God is a ruler, but it's because of his heart as a father, and what I've learned in my own life is that oftentimes when I begin to experience the discipline of God, it's because I've been ignoring other ways that he's been trying to bring gentle correction into my life. I'm just telling you, most times when I get to the place where I'm experiencing the discipline of the father in my life, it's because I've been stubborn or prideful or hard-hearted towards the ways that he's been very gently, very graciously trying to get my attention and through the spirit of conviction lead me out of a circumstance or a situation and get me back on track. Psalm 103 verse eight, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, someone say everyone, to come to repentance. Lastly, right here, we'll close right here. God is judge because he is first a father. And it reminds me of a story, I've told it before, but it's been a few years about a couple of friends. One was a businessman, one was a county judge. And they became friends through the church that they both attended and were diligent to lead their families to worship in. And they became friends as they were involved in a men's group and they hit it off, they were fast friends, and they had grown a friendship over several years, and one of the things that they enjoyed doing was golfing with one another, though they both had busy schedules. About once a month, weather pending on that day that they had circled on their calendar, they'd try to get out and go golfing, just catch up on life and really just play golf. Come on, I, I play golf with some of my buddies, and I come home and my wife said, what did you guys talk about? And I'm like, nothing, really, you know? And she's like, you had to talk about something, you know? You were together for four hours. I'm like, no, we just played golf, and she, it, it just boggles her mind. But it's true, guys, right? I mean, we're just out there, we're just playing golf, right? So they're just playing golf, kind of getting away from all the hustle and bustle of the things that they're doing in their life, the business, and all the things that were associated with being a county judge. and. They were sitting, waiting for the group in front of them to clear out so that they could hit. And they're just kind of sitting there, just kind of chit-chatting, small talking really. And, and the businessman just said, hey, did you know that one of the sheriff's deputies uh, pulled me over a few weeks ago? I was running late to get over to a business meeting, just got a little heavy foot. And I was speeding in my company pickup truck there and I got pulled over. He was a good guy. He was real, real respectful, honorable, gave me a ticket, issued me a citation. And the judge quickly spoke up and said, hey, send that over to me. I wanna take care of it for you. He said, hey, I wasn't bringing it up for that reason. I, he said, no, send it over to me. I'll, I wanna take care of it for you. 
So he said, well, all right. So he sent him over the ticket. A few weeks later, they were passing in the halls at church and he said, hey, by the way, I wanna thank you for dismissing that ticket for me. And the judge said, what do you mean I didn't dismiss it? I paid it. And the businessman was really alarmed. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't bring it up for you to do anything about it and I surely wouldn't have brought it up if I thought you were gonna actually pay it for me. He said, I thought that you would just kind of pull a few strings. You're the county judge. And he said, well, what kind of a judge would I be? Because you were really speeding, right? Were you really speeding? Yeah, I was really speeding. What kind of judge would I be if I applied one measure to these people over here in the community and I applied one measure to you? He said, I I was glad to take care of it for you. But I couldn't dismiss it. But I had the resource to pay it. And the same is true with God. A holy God cannot turn a blind eye to our sin. As much as we might would like for it to be possible, he can't just dismiss it. He's, he's holiness. He's, he's the standard of truth and light. But he's a good judge because he's first a good father. And here's what he said. He said, I can't turn a blind eye to sin and I can't just dismiss it. So I'm gonna pay for it. Jesus. You've known it was coming. Thousands of years have gone by. Now's the time. I'm sending you to pay the price for your brothers and sisters. It's time to go pay the price to bring them home. It's time to go pay the price to make a way that they can be restored back into relationship with us. That 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 void, that that gap, that that distance that had been established by each of our sin, pride, and rebellion would be forever not dismissed. God didn't turn a blind eye to it because he's the standard of truth and righteousness, but he said, I'm gonna pay it. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Man, who's grateful? Who's grateful that we serve a God who may, yes, he is a judge, but he's first a father. And he made a way for it to not be dismissed. He didn't turn a blind eye. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. He made a way through Jesus Christ to bring us home to him. And Lord, we just thank you today that you're first a father. And I I pray, Lord, for every individual who's in this room and joining us online. Lord, we know there are many different perspectives about this issue, Lord, because we all have so many different experiences, some good, some indifferent, some very troubling, problematic, painful experiences, God. And we thank you, Lord, that today only you can heal that place, only you can begin to fill that void. And I just speak over every one of those situations, especially right now, the ones who are harboring anger or hurt or bitterness in your heart towards authority figures, towards your mom, towards your dad. I pray right now that you would have the grace to understand what I said a moment ago, that when you release them, when you forgive them, it does not make what they did or didn't do for you right. It just begins to make you free and it begins to free up that space in your heart 
for you to begin to receive the love that the only love that can really begin to fill that void and make you whole. That's the love of your father, the love of your father. And so Lord, I just, I declare that. Come on, I, I, if you can't tell, I just feel a special boldness to just pray over this because it's a critical issue. And I say no longer, no more. Today it ends, today it stops, Lord. The way that that issue, the way that those hurts, the way that those pains, the way that that baggage, Lord, has held people back or hindered them from running the race that you've called them to live in their life of faith. We break it off right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. It's not just a passionate preacher that's, that's doing it. It's the, it's the mighty name of Jesus. It's the love of the Father expressed to you through Jesus. The cross is his emphatic affirmation of his love for you as, you, as his son or his daughter. He didn't come to establish a denomination or a congregation, I'm telling you, or a religion. He came to rescue you as a son or a daughter back into a relationship with him because he's first the father. And Lord, we thank you that you're a good father. Some of us have experienced unfortunate, painful experiences on this side of eternity, God. And Lord, we know we live in a fallen, sinful world. And we know, Lord, that you're, you're not a controlling father figure. You're not controlling our lives. You didn't create a situation where we would just robotically go through life immune to any problems or circumstances. In fact, you loved us so much, you told us there's gonna be some problems, you're gonna experience some trials, you're gonna be, experience some tribulations, but there's a day coming where there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. I'll wipe every tear away from your eye. That day's coming for you and I. But in the middle of this existence, on this side of eternity, the promise of God was never that you wouldn't go through some things and maybe some of you experienced some things and you've kind of projected that disappointment or that anger or that despair towards your heavenly father and it's hindered that relationship. And today I just wanna encourage you, would you recognize and realize that even in that painful moment, even in that unforeseen, unexpected thing, that God's never left your side. I mean, come on, it might have been, might really have been really hard to realize or recognize that God still loves you when you went through what you went through. You didn't deserve it, you didn't expect it. Whatever that is for you, abuse or betrayal, loss. And God said, I'll be with you. Remember what he said, in the fire. Sounds nice when we print it on a crochet on a pillow or put it on a refrigerator magnet, but do you, God, what God's saying is you're gonna go through some fires. You're gonna go through some storms. The seas are gonna rage in your life sometimes. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And today, if that's you, would you just, I just wanna ask you to just open your heart. And while you open your heart, I wanna ask the Holy Spirit to bring a fresh grace in your life to just experience right now. I'm asking God to do this. I can't do, I cannot manufacture this. But I'm asking God to just help you to experience his love right now in just some sort of a way, even if it's a small way, that he would just speak to your heart. He would just speak to you, remind you that he's, he's with you, he's for you. He, he sees, he saw what you went through. He knows what it caused in your heart and your life. Right now, Lord, would you just speak to people who might be in that camp of people, Lord, just just encourage them with the reality that you're with them through the fire, in the storm, when the seas rage. God, you're with them. You're with them. You're with them, God. You're with them. Help them to sense your presence right now. He's with you. He's with you. And he's not just with you. He is for you. And he's seeing you through. 
And the enemy likes to come. Remember, he, the, the enemy is a no good, rotten, dirty dog. He's a liar. He came to Jesus himself and he said, if you are the son of God, tied up within that statement, does God really care? Does God really, is God really gonna see you through? Is God really? And I'm telling you today that the same schemes are being used against us. And today we just say, we, we shut the door on those schemes today and say, we choose to see and believe in spite of our perspectives and circumstances that have been informed by the experiences of life. We believe and we receive today that you're a good father. And we thank you for it today, God, that revelation in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, I wasn't planning on coming up here. I just felt like the Holy Spirit um, wanted me to share something with you. Um, over the last couple of days, I've had this song in my head and I I haven't watched this movie. Anybody seen The Sound of Music? I love that movie. But you know the song Edelweiss? It's a uh, Austrian song. I, I, I don't know a whole, whole lot about it, but last night I pulled my phone up and I just looked up the meaning of that song, that Edelweiss. It's a flower that's found in the Alps. And a really neat part of that story and just like the romantic part of it to me is a long time ago, young men would climb the Alps to find this Edelweiss flower and they would find it and it would be a treacherous journey but it was a way that they could show um, their um, the woman that they were trying to win her heart and they would go find the flower and they'd take this treacherous journey and they'd bring that flower back to that that woman and there'd be some stories where they wouldn't make it back and it was so romantic because oh they went and they tried to prove their love and they ended up you know dying in the bed's kind of morbid but still and I was reminded of that just now and I just sensed that the Lord wanted me to share that with some of you today especially um, women that longed for that uh, father to pursue your heart that longed for that daddy to protect you and it's not just for women. Men need that too. And I just saw that Edelweiss and I just pictured the Lord going up that mountain and coming back and giving you that flower and saying, daughter, son, I love you. I'll climb that mountain for you and I'll protect you. I just really wanted to share that with you. I just wanna pray over you. If that speaks to your heart, feel like you just uh, bow your heads and maybe if you find yourself in that place of just, really wish I had that um, in my life. God, I just thank you that that's who you're going to be right now. I thank you that that's who you're going to be right now. The one that pursues our hearts, the one that guards our hearts, the ones that, that go the extra mile, that pursues us even on our worst day. God, I thank you that that's your love over us today. God, I lift up anyone today that has heard this message and has just felt um, felt a lack of that and I just pray God that today you would come like a balm over their heart you would heal those past hurts God and you would tilt their head up towards you and encourage them and that is who you will be for them in this next season in Jesus name hey real quick before we uh, before we worship one more time just want to give people the opportunity to uh, say yes to Jesus to come home to their heaven you if you're far from God today 
you've never been forgiven, never received the free gift of salvation, or maybe you've drifted from God. You're what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter. You once knew God, loved God, served God, but you've just drifted from him, whatever reason. Gotten busy with life. Gotten caught up with the cares of the world. Right now, if that's you, right, right here, right now, in this moment, would you lift your hand and say, that's me, I need forgiveness. That's me, I need to come back home. I need to come back into relationship with my Heavenly Father in this moment. Just one more moment, if that's you, lift your hand. If you're joining us online, well, I think it's powerfully important, even if you're not with someone, that you would take a moment and lift your hand, just as a simple outward sign of an inward work that God's doing in your life. Or thank you for these precious people. If you raise your hand, you could lower it. Come on, that's just a small outward step, outward sign of an inward work that God's calling you to and what he's inviting you to. But let's let's do this. Let's pray this prayer with those people today that responded to, to God. Let's pray it boldly and let's show them that there's a church family that wants to come alongside them and help them to grow in their faith and begin to move forward in their faith. And, and as we pray it, let's just be reminded we never graduate from grace. Everything God's doing in our life, it's all built on unmerited grace. Come on, some amazing people came home to Christ today. Let's, let's pray this prayer with them. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life, I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say this part loudly, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. Come on, can we rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who came home to Christ today? Hey, let's worship God one more time together, then we'll come up with this mission. God bless you, we love you.